If you'll forgive me, I'd like to give an accurate recount of exactly what happened when I realized that this was the next episode on the list. Ugh. I'm not actually joking. This just... Wow. Now, you know what's funny? I've said many times, going through with analysis mode changes my opinions. Sometimes worse, sometimes better, sometimes just kind of adjacent. But I think of things differently because I'm really going through and trying to think about them as much as I can, rather than just sitting and relaxing and enjoying some television with a friend or family member, right? I bring that up because not everything has been a lamentation that could have been, and some things have been lamentations that I'd never expected. If you asked me two months ago, before I started the TOS stuff, what... I, what I listed as my absolute worst TOS episode, it would be Way to Eden. I've actually been asked that question before, and I have answered this unequivocally. I can now say that is no longer true. So that's something. Uh, in fact, by my own account here, I would say this is the third worst. I think the apple was worse than this. And I absolutely think And the Children Shall Lead was worse, which so far occupies the, pies the slot for my absolute worst episode of TOS so far. Although, we do have at least one episode coming up that tends to be infamous for being bad, so we'll see if that maintains. But no, this is a lamentation. For the first ten or so minutes, I had that moment of, wow, maybe it's not as bad as I remember. Huh, okay. If you remember, there's been a few lamentations where I've said something to that effect, where I was surprised by how not terrible it was in the first act. And then it just starts to nosedive, and that's exactly what happened here. This episode was written by DC Fontana. Now, hold on a second. This episode's original script, its original premise, was written by DC Fontana. Then it was rewritten extensively, getting rid of uh, Joanna entirely as a character and turning her into a younger Russian woman who could be a love interest for Chekhov, turning Kirk into Chekhov, and completely restructuring the ending. Just lots and lots of rewrites. Fontana was... Really pissed at this rewrite, and I'm going to go ahead and say this right up front. This was her final inclusion into TOS. Obviously, she would be involved in Star Trek in the future, most notably in TNG. But this is it. This is when she bows out of TOS. I believe she is actually the last of the original crew. I know I've said that twice now, and I keep screwing it up because I keep forgetting there's one more episode because of the out-of-order problem. But this is it. This is it. This is the end here. And I just want to say... Even this episode shows one of the things Fontana was good at. I've given praise and, and accolades to Justman, to Kuhn, and to Pevney, and to Daniels, and to Evity, and to Sedensky. All of these people have been people who have helped make Trek what it is. I've even given praise to Roddenberry, if you've been paying attention. Just, you know, there's been some other stuff, too. But Fontana, I think what she was best at was really having her finger on the pulse of the characters. The the script that got her the job of story editor was uh, This Side of Paradise, a.k.a. the one where Spock gets romantically connected with the woman because the spores allows himself to feel. And she was absolutely right. She's always had a fairly keen understanding of several of the characters, Spock more than anyone else. I would say the only person who understands Spock better than Fontana is Nimoy. And this episode shows that. In... Uh, <laughs> Under the old rules, I wouldn't be allowed to make this a lamentation because there is a redeeming feature. One redeeming feature to this episode, and that is Spock. And the fact that he relates to these people. The fact that he feels like an outsider, someone who is an outcast amongst his own society and planet, and therefore 
doesn't really feel like he belongs and has to make his own way of things. This is also something that endeared Spock to many people back in the day and in more modern times. And Fontana nails that. She does. And so absolute credit where credit is due. <sighs> Unfortunately, this, like I said, this is the end of her inclusion into TOS, and her inclusion does not salvage this episode for me. Oh my god, where do I even begin? Um, Arthur Henneman is the one who actually did most of the writing. He did Wink of an Eye, uh, as well as Savage Curtain, which is coming up. And David Alexander was the director. He did Plato's Stepchildren. So we start off, and how could six people possibly take over a cruiser to try and escape? That's just ridiculous. Either way, we find out very early on that there's a critical plot point. One of these yahoos is the son of an important diplomat. And because the Federation is so big on nepotism, they are ordered to take care of these people as lightly as possible and not press charges and not imprison them and throw them in a brig, even though they are disruptive and have just committed a crime because one of them is the son of an ambassador who is an important ambassador. Yeah. That's all I really feel the need to say on that one. This, of course, is also probably why they don't just walk in with a bunch of phasers and stun them every time they do one of their little demonstrations. Spock then co connects with them. I already mentioned that. I have nothing else to add to that. And uh, Dr. Peverin says, We do not recognize the Federation or any authority that is not us. Okay. He then says... We respectfully request you take us to Eden. Can I mention something, by the way? Um, I don't know how to pronounce it. Heisier? 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 Sten Heisier plays Severin here. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Forgive me. You may recognize him. He played another role in TOS. Melikon. The super Nazi. The guy, the evil Nazi back in Patterns of Force. I found that funny. Also, Charles Napier. Oh my god, Charles Napier is in this episode. That is so weird. He actually shows up again in Deep Space Nine, as most people are probably aware, but Napier has a bit of a career of playing the hard-nosed military guy, so it's so weird seeing him here as Adam, the um, juvenile idiot. No, I don't think I'm being too harsh. I'll get to that. Either way, we do not recognize. Now, please take us to Eden, please. We respectfully request. Now, Kirk doesn't respond to this, and of course he doesn't. Let me let me rephrase this a little bit. <clears throat> you're you're a captain. You've just taken me aboard, effectively captured me. I respectfully request to be taken to the lost city of Atlantis. What exactly are you supposed to do in response to that? And the whole time I'm acting like this is a completely reasonable request, and I'm losing my patience with you and your unreasonability for just not taking me to the lost city of Atlantis. What's taking you so long? Come on, let's go. Oh, my God. This, hmm. So this then leads to all sorts of things. Where do I even begin? Chekhov is borderline out of character here. I would actually argue that this is character assassination. Lord knows Walter Koenig mentioned that this was character assassination. He hated the way he had to play Chekhov here. Because Chekhov was based on Kirk, who was interacting with McCoy's daughter, and so you could see how the transition didn't go smoothly. We then find out there's this new disease born of a clean environment. That's kind of cool. That's a neat idea. And that... I mean, Mass Effect has an entire species culture built around that concept. It's the kind of thing that if you were to try and actually make something like this work, it is the kind of thing you would have to solve. 
in my own setting, I've had to solve this exact same dilemma. Because if you just keep everything absolutely clean, you are completely screwing over any biological life that spends an extended period of time in such a sterilized environment. Just like over a Mass Effect. So, that's kind of cool. I like that. This new super disease. Okay, I'm with that. I'm with that. Cool. They don't do anything with it. In fact, that plot point is abandoned almost immediately after it's brought up. It comes up in one other scene. So, that's gone. Okay. We then see them trying to recruit people. Obviously, uh, Irina tries to recruit Chekhov. And... <laughs> this had to have been on purpose. I have heard multiple uh, different reports on whether or not they knew that... Um, Oh my god, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. Uh, George, Take George Takei. Yeah, I had to correct myself on the, the pronunciation there real quick. That George Takei was uh, gay. And they, so there's differing accounts, but most of them agree that most of the people back then knew. So they just had to have a scene where this woman tries to seduce Ch uh, Sulu and fails miserably. Something about that really does amuse me. Anyways probably the only uh, smile I smiled the entire episode. So then they mentioned flat out they would bring them to the brig if not for the sun. There's that uh, wonderful little nepotism again. And then we have another cool idea. Counterculture. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, the idea of people who are anti-technology. Now let me pause for a second. First of all, you live in the Federation. Even in this era, if you're so anti-technology, go to a world, find a planet that isn't civilized, and go live there. If that's not acceptable, go to another world and colonize there. The Federation is colony happy in any era. You could just sign up, get your colony cools, go to the new planet, and then set up your new utopia or whatever it is you want to do. This is not hard. Instead, they insist on stealing stuff and refusing authority to try and find a planet that doesn't exist in order to establish the new paradise. Now, he is insane. Spock says this flat out, and his actions do very clearly show that this is a man who is insane. The problem is, we know what they do with insane people in the Federation, so why isn't he getting those drugs that help his mind not be crazy, or why is he not in an asylum? No. Seriously. The only thing that they mention is McCoy's like, I'm going to check a tape to verify if he's insane medically, and it's like, but you... McCoy's a trained psychiatrist, I feel like reminding you, because this came up recently, from my perspective, not from yours. Whatever. The countercultural idea, though, you know, I've come across as being very anti-that in Trek, and it's mostly because usually when it's done, it pisses me off. See Star Trek Insurrection, for a good example, or Paradise over on Deep Space Nine. We just want to get back to a simpler life with less technology. Okay. Um, bullcrap. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. If you legitimately think that, if that's something you actually want, then go for it. You have the opportunity and availability to do that in the Federation because of the massive amount of infrastructure and society and technology that they have to allow that to happen. You wouldn't have the choice and freedom to choose to do so if not for the system you claim to hate. See why this pisses me off so much? See, I don't mind the idea. If you really do want to go do it, then do it. Sure. Do the colony idea or just set up a settlement or whatever. And set up some official contact with the feds if you want that says we don't want to be too interacted with. You know, maybe an emergency transmitter, but otherwise piss off. We want to go rough it. No judgment. 
right? People want that in real life. Everyone wants different kind of things. And there's probably enough groups of people across however many planets, however many species that would like to just go rough it. No judgment. It's when you get preachy. That's when it starts to piss me off. When you get all elitist, when you talk down as if, if not. Now, I hate to quote Sid, but I've been able to make my living, you know, my career based off technology. So I am rather pro-technology as I'm talking to, you know, a camera that's sitting on top of a monitor that's connected to a computer while I have, you know, multiple lights glaring at me and a, whip, a microphone over here. And I also have these on my eyes so I can actually see if you really want to get down to it. So I tend to be a little pro-technology. But again, no judgment as long as you're not preachy. I don't think this is the proper path either. This is the what just the path I prefer and that I have chosen. Right? This is why this gets to me so much. And of course they are just as they they come up with this great idea and it would be used in future trek. It's just it's a terrible implementation. Then So then he asks if they can do a session. And we have a scene between Chekhov and Irina. The only reasons this scene exists are A, to sexy it up, because we need our sex appeal. I mean, you noticed her outfit, right? That has got to be so uncomfortable to wear. And B, so that Chekhov can give away all the information they need to take over the ship. I've said this jokingly before, but I'm going to say this very clearly. The only reason Auxiliary Control exists on this show is so that the bad guys can take over the ship from it. This then leads to the actual session. And this is when I want to mention the oomph. I keep talking about the oomph. What? This is just a crap episode, in my opinion. It's got bad everything. A um, couple of decent ideas, but otherwise it's just, it's just bad, 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 bad. But what's the extra oomph? In this case, it was hard for me to narrow down. And I mean, I mean that sincerely. Because the whole time I was just sitting here just ugh, slogging through. But what really pushed me into that is three things. First of all, the dialogue. I know I've complained about this before, and I know that this is almost assuredly a script editing problem. But the dialogue in this episode is not good. It's a lot of people who are saying things that are said as slang. Let me say this more clearly. They're saying slang as normal speech patterns. You know, if I say, I've done this before in real life. If I try to say something in slang that I don't normally say in slang, it comes out weird, right? Um, I, of course, I'm trying to come up with an example off the top of my head, and I'm failing at it. You know, if 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 we we we, we reach, brother, we really do. There you go. I'll just use the episodes on example. If I say that, it just it doesn't have the right indication of... So you follow me on this? Like, there's a natural flow to how a human being speaks slang. That's why it's slang. It's a form of shorthand that is used to in, in commonality for something that you utilize all the time. And so there's a comfortable, natural flow to how you say it that is present in none of them. I reach that, brother. I really do doesn't really have the same, you know, flow or approach of... What's that? God, what's a slang I actually do use here now and again? I, I don't know. I, I can't think of an example. I'm sorry. Forgive me. But you know, you know what I'm talking about. And so that dialogue and the presentation of that dialogue, in addition to the dialogue supporting it, just doesn't work. This then leads to my second major problem. The music. 
Four minutes and 15 seconds of the episode are dedicated towards the musical number. That doesn't sound like a lot, and it's kind of not. It's only about 10% of the episode, roughly. Uh, actually, a little less than 10%, closer to like 8.5 or something like that. That's not a huge amount, but until I sat down and figured out that duration, I would have never been able to tell you that, because it feels like it just drags. Which brings me to my second piece of information here. You know how I mentioned the slang was said kind of awkwardly? Well, the people in enjoying the music is kind of awkward. Once again, if you are trying to pretend to be into something or like something that you're not, it comes across as a little forced and a little stiff, just like with the slang thing I just mentioned. So these people who are all watching and kind of going along to it do not seem or act like people who are going along with this music. Instead, they seem like actors who are trying to act as if they're into it, and they're not. Both of these points combine to make really my overarching point, but I wanted to be thorough. This episode is awkward as hell. It is stilted, poorly delivered, poorly translated onto screen. It is very awkward. It is the exact opposite of any kind of charismatic or chemistry or any kind of good presentation. And that absolutely destroys the episode. Some of the ideas aren't terrible, and I've certainly seen some more nonsense in Trek, but this whole thing feels like, and I hate to use this word, cringe. And I hate to use that word because it's such a generic word and it's over-applied, and I'm pretty sure most of you think I am cringy right now in chat, and, or excuse me, in comments, and that's fine. But this whole thing physically literally made me cringe. That is not a joke or an exaggeration. In fact, if you were paying attention, I did it just a bit ago, right before I said the word. That's the extra oomph. That's what really pushes this into lamentation territory. I am physically uncomfortable watching this episode because of how awkward it is. If I was to use another example, to make my point one last time, for those of you who haven't watched this or aren't watching this with me, by the way, you're troopers, if you manage to get through this one, um, you ever see, like, the, the, the sports casts or, ah, sports is a bad thing, but like, like the, the E3 lead-up things where there's a bunch of people circled around the, the table and they're like, hey, you know, we're totally faking it. And it's just awkward, right? It's that same kind of just slightly uncomfortable, okay, why am I watching this kind of a feel, right? And I know people disagree on what qualifies that as not, which is why I'm trying to explain myself so thoroughly. I am, as ever, curious of what you think of that. If, if you agree that this is awkward or cringy or anything else, and if you disagree, why? And if you agree, why? As always, I am very curious of your guys' thoughts. Unfortunately, we're not done with the episode. <sighs> they pipe the music to the whole ship. I'd mutiny on the spot. The music's actually not terrible. It was apparently uh, written and performed by Napier himself, who is actually a musician. So, hey, he does a decent job of it. No, my point is, I want you to imagine that you're at work, and someone forces you to listen to their music. I'm sure you've had that happen in real life, especially if you've worked in an open office area. Because I've had that happen. Someone just turns on the radio and leaves it on. It's like, hey. Yeah. Either way. This then leads to the guard who is so distracted by this wonderful music that he completely misses the person sneaking up on him to attack him and incapacitate him with the pseudo-Vulcan neck pinch. And the hippies then take over the ship. So, I think 
I think this actually surpasses Rascals. I don't know, what do you guys think? It's kind of an even thing, but at least the Ferengi over on Rascals had their Klingon ships and actual guns. <laughs> Either way, the hippies, six, six hippies, take over the ship. By the way, I'd like to reiterate my point that you don't actually need 423 or 29 or whatever people to run a ship because six people run the ship just fine. And this is not the first or last time they come up. But anyways, actually, it might be the last. Now that I'm thinking about it. Never mind. Ignore that last part. So they, they take over the ship. Okay. Then they charge into Romulan space. Oh, that's pretty terrifying. No, no, don't worry. The Romulans don't even notice. It's not like the last two times they went into Romulan space, they were immediately set upon by a fleet. Uh, maybe they also got in contact with the ambassador whose son is here, and he was like, could, could, for me, could you let, let this go? It's my, it's my kid on that ship. And the Romulans are like, okay, sure. We understand nepotism. We'll go along with it. Then, hang on, I'm not done complaining here. Then they find Eden. No, no, that's wrong. Then they found Eden. Yes, I said that right. Because Spock and Chekhov, who'd been working on that thing, successfully found Eden. Past tense. They didn't notify anybody. Nobody nobody mentioned anything. They just found it, and there it is, right? Well, actually, that is something that can be explained. It just does... It, I'm mentioning this to show how really, really, really stupid these people are. They find a planet and presume it is Eden. What most likely happened was they found a planet and they immediately dismissed it because A, Romulan space, and B, horribly toxic atmosphere, right? Well, you'd think that, but they seem to be surprised by it when they go down to the planet, so no, that's not it. So I can't give them that much credit. But either way, they probably dismissed it because it was in Romulan space. But then these yahoos look at it and say, oh, there it is, that totally has to be it. Presumption! I'm giving the episode too much credit. No, what it actually is, what the episode posits, is that they found Eden, this is it. This is Eden. Spock and Chekhov think this is Eden. <sighs> then... They use a sonic attack to kill everyone on board. Sure. I mean, that... Sure. We then have a shot of everyone being dead as they're singing over the comm, which could have made a very horrifying episode, now that I think about it. But apparently, and this is just great, check this out, really think about this sequence of events. So they turn on this super death sonic thing, which is going to kill them. It is intended to kill them because Severin is insane. And while he does this, they get knocked out. They all get knocked out. Okay, cool. The whole ship gets knocked out. Then there's a period where it goes off so they can leave the ship. Now, the, during the period when the, the sonic attack is off, they come out, leave, go down to the shuttle bay, get in the shuttle, open the shuttle bay doors, manage to leave, and then reclose the shuttle. In short, that had to take several, several minutes possibly even longer. That's a fairly large period of time where the sonic attack isn't happening, right? During that period, no one woke up and nothing happened. Then, the sonic attack starts again, and Kirk immediately stirs and gets up. And I was like, oh no, and then he manages to get in and turns off the console. Explain that one to me. Why would... You know what, I don't even care at this point. Then there's a wonderful bit of dialogue, which once again shows that the script editing is just terrible at this point in the show. Do we have control of the ship? No. Can we leave orbit? Yeah. What? <laughs> oh, sorry. 
Sorry, I was a little distracted there for a moment. <laughs> can, I, can I share something? Then they go down, and Adam's dead having eaten a piece of fruit. Yeah, I get it, Spock. I get it, episode. Thanks for that. But then, this is great. I actually wrote down here, Spock actually has a line, his name was Adam. And my, 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 my note here just says, THANKS, SPOCK, in all caps. Thanks for that. Couldn't have figured that out for myself. Appreciate that, buddy. And so all of the people are taking refuge in the shuttlecraft, which would actually be really clever if not for the rest of the episode. These anti-technology, you know, reje technology rejectors have to hide for their life in a shuttlecraft. There is something wonderfully poetic about that. If the Enterprise crew had actually been killed, um, they probably would have died here. Either they would have refused to leave because of Severin, or the Romulans would have come by and that would have been game. Yeah. Severin, of course, is like, no, we must not leave. You don't understand. This is it. This is paradise. Nom, nom, nom. Thud. Thank God he's dead. Pun intended. Oh, my God. And then we have a touching, heartfelt, you know, departure between Chekhov and woman we never saw before and never will again. The end. I don't even know what to add to all that. I would like to know your guys' thoughts. I always do. But when it comes to a big episode like this, an episode that's really just, oh, it, it feels like... You ever do that thing where you have to push... Uh, it's, it's a football, excuse me, American football exercise. You have to push a thing and you have to push it along harsh terrain and it's supposed to really exercise your, your legs and you can kind of get parts of your shoulders as well. You ever do that? I feel like I've just done that for like 40 minutes, which I know I'm physically not capable of doing, but that's how I feel, just like I've just been slogging through this. Not the season as a whole, just the episode. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. I'll see you next time, if you reach, brother. <laughs>